I'm neurotic all on my own without that. Um, it's, it's my pleasure to introduce to you today our speaker, uh, Mark Gornick. Some of you heard him yesterday in chapel, and, and then yesterday evening he did a marvelous job introducing us to some new ideas. Uh, Mark is this year's Women in the Church uh, speaker for the Women in the Church lecture series, and we are thrilled to have him on our campus. Mark is a, uh, an alum of Covenant College, uh, and is arguably the best combination of academic excellence and practitioner work that I know of. Uh, about 17 years ago, I was a professor at the University of Maryland, but I knew I was coming to Covenant College to do something with poor people or something, and I, I went and visited Mark and uh, uh, Alan Tibbles and Steve Smallman, who were working in a low-income neighborhood in Baltimore, just to try to learn. And I spent about a day with them, and it's hard for me to imagine very many days in my life that were more impactful than that one day that I spent with them. Uh, here were guys who were just trying to figure it out, but they'd had uh, remarkable success. And as I sat down with them, spent all day with them, really, it was very quick that I, very quickly that I learned that I really had no idea what I was talking about. That they knew so much, and I just really didn't know anything. They allowed me to ask all kinds of really stupid questions, were very, very patient with me. And it was a profoundly impactful day for me. I can remember very detailed uh, portions of my conversations with them from that day. I spent about two hours in Mark's house with him, and I was just overwhelmed with his knowledge, his insights. I really felt like I was just in the presence of greatness. I really did. He was talking about great theological concepts and how he was trying to apply them in this neighborhood, and I was just kind of bowled over. But the thing that impressed me the most is that we walked outside of his house that day, and we'd just been talking about Waltersdorf and Shalom and the theology of place, and my mind is spinning. We walked out of his house, and one of the residents of that community who was materially poor was walking by, and Mark seamlessly talked to him and it was clear that they had a relationship. And so that humility that's at the heart of who he is is the thing that impresses me the most. Please join me in welcoming Mark Gornick. Good morning. I want you to know, parents, that one day your sons will wear a tie. <laughs> Nobody got that. Listen, thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian, <clears throat> so very much. Uh, it is really a privilege to be here today, um, to be with so many people. Thank you, President Halverson and absolutely Jay Green and Paul Morton and so many others. And it's good to hear James Ward. Amazing to hear Jim. Uh, thank you. And uh, to see Colin Schmidt here, uh, what a privilege for me. Um, Colin, good morning. So here's what I'm talking about um, in our time together. Um, I'm trying to wrestle with you together with um, a reality that has really changed everything about the world. And that is that in the last 100 years, last 50 years, last 20 to 30 years, the church has shifted, the center of gravity, of Christian gravity, has shifted from the West and Europe 
to the global south, Africa, Asia, Latin America. And we're no longer in the same Christian world in which we lived. And so what I'm wrestling with personally, and I hope together through these WIC lectures, is how do we enter into this story? Not academically, but theologically and personally. Um, how, is it, uh, how has it become our story? And um, it's easy, it was something so dramatically different than us, potentially different than us. It's easy with something so overwhelming that the fastest growth in the Christian church is happening in Africa in churches that are very different than ours. Um, it's easy to, to ignore it, kick the can down the road, so to speak, for someone else to pick up and how it's going to impact us. It's easy to do these things who think it's not about me. But reality is we're part of one body. Um, here, uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, but speaking the truth in love, this is from Ephesians. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. So I think what the Apostle Paul is saying to us is that we belong to one body. We can't think of ourselves as separate from others. We have to think of ourselves in this framework. Um, Andrew Wall, someone I'm going to talk about a few different times in our morning here. Andrew Wall is an historian who for 50 years probably has been charting this development in uh, probably the most significant way. And he talks about there's been two sort of ages of world Christianity. The first one was up um, across the first six centuries when there were Christian communities across Europe and Asia and deep into Eastern Africa. There were regional centers, but not a single center of Christianity. Now, eventually, around the sixth century, Western Christians began to see themselves as coterminous with territory and faith, hence the phrase Christendom. So it went from no center, it went from regional centers and no single center to a sense of the West and associating itself with territory and faith. And this went on for many, many centuries. But we're now in a second age of world Christianity when Christian faith is established in profound ways in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And with migration and movement and globalization, um, there is no single center of Christianity. There are multiple centers. And in this new period, there are possibilities for communion um, and reconciliation across linguistic and cultural lines. So how do we come to know about these worlds of Africa, Asia, and Latin American Christianity? Well, um, as I talked about pretty directly yesterday, my work in this began back in 2001 with African Christians who had moved to New York City. And I talked about my first exercise in fieldwork. I'm using ethnography as a tool to understand um, different expressions of Christianity. By that I mean that ethnography or, or anthropology of Christianity is you're trying to understand others on their own terms before you draw judgments. It's about learning. It's about dispossession. It's about not assuming you have the answers but going and listening. And I talked about the practice yesterday of pilgrimage about 
intentionally going to a new space and, out of, and, and being vulnerable in that new space. Um, even doing things you haven't done, like running around a church and holding the Bible and, and proclaiming that you're running with the gospel. My first experience in this particular church. So I want to now turn to um, another dimension of what um, I learned by being part of African Christian churches in New York City. As I mentioned, uh, just to sort of give one more background, I started working with one church, learning about it in New York City. And after 10 years, I learned that there was over 200 new African immigrant churches in New York City. They're from Nigeria, Ghana, Liberia, um, Ethiopia, the Congo, and so forth. And so I learned an entirely new, um, for me, a new, I had a chance to experience a new expression of Christianity by participation in their worship life and in their communal life, their common life, for 10 years, and still ongoing in some ways. So it was an immersion in a different Christian cultural experience. And it was by far one of the most profound experiences I've had in my life. Um, and it was as shaping um, as it, it can be, and I'll come back to that. But I want to continue to move here, and I want to talk about an experience that I had that we're still thinking about at City Seminary, and that is the transmission of faith between congregations and parents and their children. I thought that might be a good thing for today to think about. Um, perhaps the greatest obligation of our faith is to pass on what we believe and have learned to our families. I know I think that as a parent right now. Let me share one story with you from the Presbyterian Church of Ghana in Harlem. Um, and uh, it's a very vibrant, charismatic church. Don't let the word Presbyterian fool you. <laughs> For sheer joy, few days surpass a Confirmation Sunday. It was August 14, 2005, and it was Confirmation Day at the Presbyterian Church of Ghana in New York one of the most significant events in the life of the church. For months, if not years, 15 young men and women have been instructed in the beliefs and practices of the church, the nature of Christ, the Holy Ghost, and the Ten Commandments. Some of them were still in high school. Others had already started college and had come back. As they knelt one by one before the pastor, in the confirmation process. Yala Siadu, the minister, laid his hands upon them and affirmed the vows of membership. Then, as they're in front of the congregation, beginning with the elders, uh, men and women, they followed uh, by the whole church, a line stretched around the sanctuary to shake hands with, hug, and celebrate each new member. So the entire congregation lined up to shake the hands of these new members, hundreds, three, four hundred, five hundred people. Um, First communion followed for only the new members. Reverend Asiodo remarked, on this day, Jesus is dining with you, same as the disciples. Now the communion service was then followed by a celebration of eating and dancing in the basement of the church. For the 15 young people, this public commitment was not only a gesture of faith, and that was very much a a commitment of faith, but it was an affirmation of their parents' history and tradition, a participation in a story that usually runs many generations. I remember um, one of the first conversations I had in the Presbyterian Church of Ghana 
was that I said, um, how long have you been a member of this church? church? And he said, um, I've been a uh, presby or a PCG all my life, and my parents were, and my parents were before then. You might not know this, but the President Church of Ghana, um, based in Accra, just celebrated 175 years of being a denomination. That's a long history. That's not yesterday. And they traced their, they traced their faith and their practices and their, and their church commitments 175 years. And so for their children to carry it on by becoming members, it is generations in history of nearly 200 years that is happening in that event, just for that community. For the Ghanaian Christian families in New York City, however, there are new challenges to raising children in a particular faith tradition. Now, everyone that I, in this church, they're all new to New York, whether it's one year or five years or 20 years. Um, their families are new, and many of the young people your age were, um, their parents came to New York City and they stayed in Ghana until maybe they were 14 or 15, and then they came. So uh, they're in New York City with all its pluralism and diversity and prejudices um, against um, uh, persons of color often, but not always by any means. And they come uh, to join uh, into new social pressures and changes in moral standards that challenge African families who have very strict morals and understandings of community life and the relationship between men and women. Now they're raising their families in New York City. And by the way, they're thriving and loving it and it's not a negative image, but these are really serious challenges that the parents face and the church faces. Away from the reinforcements of culture and tradition, these concerns are compounded but together what I saw was that parents and churches and families and youth workers persevered and I met amazing young people in all the churches I studied and here as well. In Latin, translation, the word translation means to transfer, to hand off. Translating faith from one generation to the next is a perennial concern of every religious tradition. It's ours. As we read in the book of Deuteronomy, but take care and watch yourselves closely so as neither to forget the things that your eyes have seen nor to let them slip from your mind all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Um, I find this interesting because one of my uh, close friends in New York City, he's a, he's a businessman, he's a developer, and uh, we have regular conversations about um, running a seminary and, and running uh, a business. And we compare notes all the time. He's really been my teacher in so many things. And Ken often says to me that it's not passing on uh, your faith or what you've learned as an institution to the next generation. It's the generation after that that matters. It's the generation after. It's my children's children that really is the test. Deuteronomy. What um, is being passed forward is not just ideas but a faith cultivated and practiced over time, over generations. Christian faith, I learned, in a way which I hadn't really known before, is not just adherence to ideas, but it's a way of life. It's living in the story of Christ. It involves worshiping and trusting. It involves hoping and praying, listening, clapping and moving. It is living and breathing. It is not ideas. It is a life. This commitment involves 
the past, the present, and the future. The young people in the Presbyterian Church of Ghana are honoring their parents and they're proclaiming their faith in a very public way. They will carry on the faith, but they will also face new questions. Indeed, um, interestingly enough, in this congregation, many of the young people attend other churches, okay? But they will go to a Pentecostal church where the worship is more vibrant, where there's more flexibility on dress, where they understand the language better. But they understand that they still belong to the Presbyterian Church of Ghana. They still belong to their home to their home church. So they face new questions. How will they carry on their faith? What language will they worship in? Will they always stay in this particular church? How will their faith shape their life in the city, at school and on the streets? And what if their practice of worship begins to change? And I think most of all for all of us in this particular period of time when so much around our world is changing dramatically, um, in this time of insecurity, how will their faith map their journey? Andrew Walls, uh, the historian and missiologist that I mentioned at the beginning, observes that theology is learning to live and think in a Christian way. Um, theology means answering questions that we have. So one of the things we talked about last night was that the practice that we need to cultivate a practice we want to cultivate for living in a world Christian time is listening for the question. A lot of the theology, the commitments, the, the practices we have that we've, we've had and we've cultivated and developed so faithfully, we're not actually sure always what the question was that was asked to get those answers. And we may have very different questions about our life and about our world and about what God wants us to do. Theology is very, very hard work. It's not just catechism class. It's asking new questions and seeking to live and think in a Christian way. Theology is something we always are doing. The questions we face will be new. They will be ever-changing, even as Scripture remains unchanging. Theology is hard work, but everything is at stake. Everything is at stake. Now, every culture faces this, and so does every generation. How to honor one's past and also to embrace the new questions that we face today. Now, we can see this process actually taking place over and over again, particularly in the New Testament. The advance of the gospel in the book of Acts is very much this story. The Jerusalem Council, um, how will Gentiles uh, worship? Um, What will we require them to do? How will tradition and culture play into this? First Corinthians, what about the relationship to our culture and meat? Um, we have even some of the same questions today, but even new ones, and we have to think in the same way. What I hear from the African churches is a profound gift. What I, was, what I have experienced is a gift of understanding things and, and reflecting back as a mirror on my own experience and my own journey. Um, Let me give you one more um, quote that I think puts this um, hopefully in perspective. The cultural diversity of Christianity today, this is for Andrew Walls, is widely acknowledged and perhaps needs little new defense. But in fact, I think we do need to think about what's happening. Perhaps we need, however, to remember that this diversity exists not only in a horizontal form across the contemporary scene, but also in a vertical form across history. 
Christianity is a generational process, an ongoing dialogue with culture. Just as diversity of Christian expression and its ultimate coherence combine in the contemporary scene, so they are across the generations. We belong to the ancestors and to our grandchildren, and this is as true of the church as a whole as of any local segment of it. The full-grown humanity of Christ requires all the Christian generations, just as it embodies all the cultural variety that the six continents can bring. As a writer to the Hebrews put it, Abraham and the patriarchs have even now not reached their goal. They are waiting for us. Learning is, by its very nature, incomplete, an ongoing journey. My own journey of learning has taken me to urban community development, working in housing and, and public health. It has been at its heart, I think, pastoral work. And now it has involved, um, on a regular daily, moment-by-moment -moment basis, building a theological institution and working uh, alongside a new generation of leaders in New York City. But what has not simply launched me, but guides my way, is the education that I received here at Covenant College. My time here at Covenant gave me the tools to work in community health, <clears throat> in affordable housing, and to wrestle with fields um, as diverse as globalization and network theory and theology. All of this, in my understanding, is working for the shalom and flourishing of our world. Holding it all together, these disparate parts, and I would also say being a husband and being a parent, is what I learned here, that Christ is renewing all things, and we live in the light of this reality. All learning and all of life belongs to Christ, as the scripture reminds us, and as Kuiper in the Reformed faith has taught us. At the same time, um, it's not always what we do, it's not always the actions we take to bring shalom and flourishing which matter. In fact, 25 years into some of this, I would say I'm not so sure about that anymore. But what's maybe most important are eyes to see God's kingdom at work beyond our categories. I'm so grateful for my Reformed faith. I think that as it has given me the foundation and the glasses to see and to live, I think in a way that's given unity and integrity to my life, um, that has um, made it <clears throat> always, virtually always an unsurpassing joy to do the things I've been involved with. Um, but I'm not sure that I've always uh, done it right. In fact, I know I haven't. And so I think in this second half of life, um, I to see God's kingdom at work beyond our categories. Something that experience has taught me and it's something that ethnographic work among churches different than mine have taught me. The kingdom is sovereignly beyond our control. That's the Reformed faith. This conviction belongs, I think, in our learning process. To be still and listen, to develop the practices of discernment, of spiritual direction and guidance and listening, I think these are just as important as a faith that seeks to transform the world. In fact, I think they belong together. So I'm still learning, and I'm even more grateful for Covenant and this time together than I was um, a year ago and the year before then. And actually, I want us to take this minute now, or just this time, a moment to say thanks to my parents, 
my father has passed, and uh, my mother is still living in Baltimore. She's um, getting much older. But my parents made it possible for me to come to Covenant College. And um, they, they had a faith commitment to me. They prayed for me when, believe it or not, I, you know, I nearly dropped out of high school, which is hard to believe now given the work I do in, in academics. But my parents prayed and believed, and then they gave me a faith which could adapt and meet the new challenges that I face. I can say that my parents have probably not entirely understood what I've done with my life, to be totally honest. Um, but they love me deeply, and they trust the gods that work in my life. And I think that's part of the transmission of faith. And I think that's really important. So let me um, conclude with one, well, I think I have uh, just a minute to say um, something about the seminary now, City Seminary, because a few of you have asked. And as I've talked about um, the things I've been um, doing in community development, um, I also now work at City Seminary of New York, which is a seminary we started in Harlem about 10 years ago. And our whole focus there is working interculturally, churches and communities from Africa, Asia, Latin America, and the Caribbean learning together. That is, we learn from one another. I'm going to read a quote that I have on my phone here. I'm not checking my email in the middle of a sermon. But I'm tempted. I'm addicted. We need each other's vision to correct, enlarge, and focus our own. Only together are we complete in Christ. We need each other's vision to correct, enlarge, and focus our own. That's what I've learned at City Seminary, that I need my brothers and sisters to correct and enlarge and shape my vision. Most of who I work with and most of my worship life is in African Pentecostal churches or or um, Latino congregations throughout New York City, or, or, or Asian churches, or Caribbean. It's an intercultural experience where I bring my faith into it, but so does everyone else. And I, think, and I think this ability to learn from one another and to see how Christ is being formed in new cultures across generations and across history is a gift. And as a result, we work together to spark each other for service in an urban world. And so I thank God for the gift of the community that he has given me to, to be a part of. Now here, let me summarize some of the things I've tried to say yesterday morning and today as a general way of thinking about how do we enter into a world where we are not in the majority by any stretch, but we're part of a larger Christian community. I began with pilgrimage, that our lives involve um, and our lives should call us into entering into new spaces where our stories, our histories, can come together with others in Christ in mutuality. That I encourage you to approach a world of Christianity with a spirit of learning, not a judgment mindset. That listening to others and truly hearing them will be the basis of growth and mutuality. But I also say this, and this is how I want to leave you as Covenant College um, to think about. But the way that you can most strongly do this, the way you can engage a world and be engaged and be transformed is to know your own story, to celebrate it, to honor your history, while also as a foundation answering the new questions that you've been handed off of faith to answer. Let's pray. Lord, 
<clears throat> Lord, we, Lord, we pray right now for your spirit to accompany our thoughts and our lives and the challenges that we have. Lord, we ask for your spirit to bring healing to those of us who are sick um, and need your healing power. Lord, we ask you to give us hearts of gratitude for our parents and for our churches and for the histories that we're a part of, that the faith that we possess, the gift from you, Lord, has been faithfully passed on through generations. Lord, help us to embrace the challenges of a world that is very different than, it, than our parents and our parents before then. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to the gospel, faithful to the work you've given us, and to be disciples who learn from one another, to have enlarged visions for the work of your kingdom. May we not rest, Lord, in the work you've given us, but may we go forward in faith and gratitude and in the joy and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.